What is up, guys? Welcome back to our podcast series, episode number 12, powered by the Grapple Club, our new sponsors. I'd like to welcome Esper Matissen, our newest guest, along, along with my co-host, Alexi. Fernando is not here today. It's his birthday. Happy birthday to Fernando. He's probably having Suvla in Texas. So, yeah. Espen, would you like to introduce yourself to people who might not know you? Like, when do you start training? Under who? Up until yeah. now? So I started training in the end of, like, 2010. I started in my hometown. So I started, like, didn't train too much in the beginning, but eventually it picked up. I trained more and more. And then at Purple Belt, I started traveling to America alongside with Tommy. So we traveled to California, to the Mendes brothers, and I also traveled to Arizona. And I decided to pursue Jitsu more. So just kept on going. And eventually I decided to move to Hogerson because before I had to travel a lot because the gym I'm from, it's very small. So I had to travel to get good training. But then instead of going to like America or Brazil, Tommy and I, and also Vegar, we decided that we're just going to train in Hogerson. It's the hometown of Tommy. So in 2016, I moved here and I've trained here since. And so it's kind of like the, the path. Nice. Um, I think you were, you used to be in Nova Union. Then for how long were you at the Mendes Brothers? So I were at the Mendes Brothers for three months. So I had one trip there. Okay, a solid trip. And then in your Kimura now, right? Yes, that's true. And you recently opened your new gym, Wolfing. Yes. Do you want to tell people about that? Yeah, so when we first started training in Haugesund, we trained at an MMA gym. And that was very nice. And we could really focus on our career. I just become better in training. But then eventually we... Start, we opened our website, so we start doing instructionals, earn money from there. And then we just want to have our own gym, so it just went naturally. We had the website, got money from there, and then invested that into our own gym. So now we have the gym in the middle of Central. Uh, we opened it. So it's been kind of weird because uh, we, like we got the gym ready in August, I guess. But then it was Corona, so it's been a kind of a slow start. But we do have classes and we have uh, members and everything. But we are really looking forward to when Corona settles and we can really start having full schedule. Nice. Yeah, man. So with regards to the gym, you're, you, you've got like um, a, a very tight-knit team, right? You, you work together, you help each other's games. You mentioned you went to California and you train with Tommy a lot. I mean... I've trained in small gyms as well. I just wanted to ask you, and I know a few people will ask you, like you train with a guy who's very good, obviously, and you've got some other good guys in your team. And sometimes, because you've trained so much with each other, your games cancel each other out. How do you find making training effective for yourself to counter this? In my opinion, so in one sense, that could be bad that you have not so many training partners. Because if you have a huge gym, you can go against any style. But at a very huge gym, eventually it's going to take long before they really understand your game. But if, you're, if you are a very small group, people are going to pick up your game and everything so quickly. So I feel then you have, the, you have to either get 
way better at what you're doing or you have to switch it up. So I don't feel that it's a problem having a small group. In my experience, it's helped me a lot because everyone know, knows my game so well. So I'm forced to constantly develop, constantly doing new stuff. So, and since we all have, are doing that, we're doing all kinds of guards, all kinds of passing. So it's not like we aren't used to certain styles. I feel okay. we're doing everything. So you're adapting all the time, just, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I know that, that makes sense, man. That makes sense because if they understand your game, yeah, they're not going to let you play it. So then you have to, yeah, man, that's really good. That's a good way to put it. Because I know we have a few small gyms in Cyprus and sometimes they struggle with that, but they don't think the way you're thinking. So yeah. for them to hear you say that, and our guys, it's a, it's a good lesson for sure. Yeah. You just have to make the best out of it. It's like, and also being like a small group, a lot of times you can have the freedom to do your own stuff. You can, like what we did, we did a lot of like free training, just helped each other, tried to, we had like a lot of freedom in a sense. And that too can be very beneficial and can help you a lot. Yeah, that makes sense, man, definitely. So would you say some days, say if you had a big competition coming up and you felt your, I don't know, for example, your Delaheva guard wasn't strong enough for the sweep or the reaction, would you get the guys to just spar you just from there over and over again until you can find a reaction or would you drill it a bit? How would you work around it? So it depends how I'm training. Like if I feel I have a weakness, I would go very specific into it. Mm. But the way we mostly train, it's very free. We like to do what we call active drilling. Mm. So we just put the timer on, it's five minutes, and then we do sweep and pass back and forth. And we increase the resistance as we go. So we start very slow, but as the pace picks up, we do more and more resistance. And eventually it's almost like situational sparring, but it's really focused on sweep and pass. So that's basically what I do all year round. And then I do sparring like two or three times a week, I guess. Yeah, that's a nice concept, man. Because a lot of people will do like five minutes just passing, but then obviously you work both bottom and top. That's a good idea, man. It's good. Yeah. Because sure. yeah, I really like doing that because if you're just doing passing, I feel when you do sweep and pass, you sweep and you directly, immediately think about the pass. So you yeah. set yourself up when you're sweeping to pass too. So really like connecting both. Mm. I feel yeah, that's yeah. very, very helpful. Yeah, you're, you're chaining everything together, aren't you? It's like you're exactly. right. Yeah. 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 Sure. And you get so many reps in with this. Like if I only... If I only swept like in sparring, it would it would be wouldn't be too much. But it, when you do sweep pass for like one and a half hour, it's like it's so many reps in. So when you do that over a year every day, it becomes a huge amount of, of reps. Yeah, yeah, I feel course. I really get like the muscle memory and I really get a good understanding of the positions. For sure. Yeah. I agree. Um I don't know if you watched the recent BJJ Stars event, but that's exactly what Felipe Pena did to everyone. He would accept the sweep, but he would accept the sweep with the grips he needed to set up either single leg X or X guard so he could get yeah. underneath and get a sweep immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'd like to ask you, Espen, for you coming from a small whole time when where jiu-jitsu wasn't really a thing, like, was, were there many gyms in your hometown where you started? No, so my hometown is really small. It's only 10,000 people. So when I started, I think the gym had been open for like a year. It was Damon Asahi. He was a blue belt from Denmark. He moved to my town because he's a doctor and he opened the gym. 
And when I started, he was a blue belt and the rest of the guys were white belts. So the gym were quite small. But it's like there was a couple of guys that took it more and more serious. And eventually now the gym has uh, quite a few of black belts, has brown belts, purple belts. So it's a very solid team. So even though it's a small town and started as a small team, it has developed into something very great. Yeah. Um, I'd say that after maybe Alexander Trans, you and Tommy were pretty much the people that would do so good in the adult level, male adult in jiu-jitsu on the world scene. And mm -hmm. you've won European championships, Pan-American championships, world pros. That really gave some hope and some confidence to other European athletes. And even today, after people seeing what you did, that gives a confidence to other people to who might be full-time competitors. Because, you know, the stereotype is like, if I don't train at Atos or AOJ and, yeah. or in Brazil and I'm a full-time competitor and I train with these guys, how am I going to compete against them and do well? But yeah. you proved them wrong. Yeah. It's very easy to have that belief, especially when you look at social media or your hair. Like, you don't have a reference. You don't know how good they are. But knowing that if you just work hard in your home, like in your home country, you can become very good. So you don't need to be at the big gyms in uh, Brazil or America. You can do it from home. You just need to really, really be passionate about it. Like always look for information, try to find good techniques and also really like study the way you're going to train. I think that's very underestimated. People just train, but you should really like try to train smart. Find a way that works good for you or your, your group and just do that a lot and you're going to have success. And try not to limit yourself by certain beliefs like you have to be at the biggest gym and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, by your experience at AOJ, I saw an interview of yours. It was either you or Tommy, I can't remember really, where you said we went there for three months and we were like, you know what? We can go back to Norway, yeah. not here in California, and get the same quality of training. What was it? How was the training environment at AOJ and what made you feel like you could have the same training environment in Norway, which is pretty much what you did for considering the results you got. Yeah. The training at AOJ is amazing. It's uh, great athletes. So nothing to, to say about that. It was very high level, but I felt that both Tom and I felt that we were able to keep up with them. We were able to, because we didn't know, like we trained, I trained mainly with white belts and blue belts before that. So I had, no idea. I only saw Mendes Brothers and social media and stuff. So I didn't know how, how I would compare to the students there and everything. But when we came there, of course, it was super tough training and it wasn't easy. But still, we, we felt that it wasn't too much different from home. And we realized how good uh, the gyms we were training at home were. Like some of the bluebells I trained with in my home city, they are really, really good. They give me a really hard time. So I just realized, like, we don't have to be here to be the best. We have good training. Nice. And I'd say that, especially your game, more than Tommy, is heavily influenced by Hafa Mendes. You know, Berimbolo, the ex-hook from Crab Ride. Was that something that you were studying and training with before you went to AOJ or something you picked up from AOJ? I started studying that game when I in the end of my white white belt and of course i study a lot of half amendus but those i really studied that was uh, the maya brothers 
I watched a lot of their fights because it was so fascinating to me watching two, I guess, light feather. And they were both like winning open weights, doing so good. And that was so cool to see. So I just, I just, in the beginning, to me, it looked like just chaos, like Lasso Guard, Berenbolo, all of this. I didn't understand, but I just kept on watching, kept on practicing. And eventually I started figuring out and was able to like do it in tournaments and start having success with it. So yeah. it was just like watching tons of matches and try to copy that in training. If you're if you're if you're looking at fighters like you're looking at what they're doing in their matches, how are you then measuring it to say, I want to transfer my gear no gear? I mean, I've seen you fight a lot in in, in gi, but do you train no gi as well? I don't train too much no gi. Okay. I did before, okay. but it's very little. No, no. Yeah, so you think that that's that journey's gone, you're gonna focus mostly on gi? To me, it's just about passion. I just have a lot of passion for gi. So I, I enjoy doing nogi, but I don't feel like I'm not gravitating towards it in a sense. I'm just, I just want to do gi. So it could change. Maybe in the future, I'm doing more nogi. But at this moment, I want to follow like my, my inner drive and my passion. And that's gi. So I'm going to keep doing that. Oh, that's cool. But we've also seen um, you've gone up and down a few divisions. Like you fought 85 Abu Dhabi. I think it's king of the mats. Uh, yes, 85. And then, and then you fought a lot in the IBJJF events under 76. Yeah. I mean, everyone talks about weight cutting. Could you talk to us about how you bulked up a bit to get to 85? I mean, you may have, you know, everyone does it differently. I just wanted to hear your point. How you so, about so I, I did lightweight for many years, and that was I just started doing that as a blue belt. But I also, I didn't want to go to middle because Tommy was there. So I was just better that I kept being light, but I'm a natural bigger guy. So I kind of had to force myself. So every like autumn I would grow bigger and then I have to do a lot of cuts to make light. So eventually, like when I did King of the Mats, I was a lot under, I wasn't on weight, uh, but still I, was, I just wanted to have the challenge. I wanted to fight guys like Lucas and Hudson and those guys. And I feel like my style works good against bigger guys. But then, like, especially after that tournament, I really realized that I should go up in weight and it's better for me to be a middleweight. That's my natural weight. That's where I feel the healthiest. Because a lot of times I wouldn't eat that much. I would train a lot and I would feel like so drained and was easy to get overtrained. And I wanted to just be where I'm naturally at. And that's like 80 kilos. So now I'm, I'm on that weight and I'm going to compete in the middleweight. Yeah. Nice. I think it does make a big difference, man. When you're when you're not eating food and you feel tired and you yes, eat, it cr it starts to break your motivation because everyone, 100%. you know, and it's so like you can almost get like bad association with competing because you go to a tournament and you go like for me, I had to go like two or three weeks barely eating, you know, having very little food, and it just mm. becomes like a lot of effort to compete. I want to go there and just enjoy the experience. Yeah. So. It's just more pleasurable being able to go at your natural weight. No, that's, that makes sense, man, for sure. I think, yeah, of course. Yeah. Espen, let me ask you, um, considering you've won the majority of gig competitions, what would you say is your favorite tournament and what was your favorite performance at that tournament? My favorite tournament, I always, I really enjoy the Europeans. That's my favorite. 
and that's also where I had my best performance, in my opinion. Uh, and that was also like it was a brown belt, but it was also how it built up because I lost everything the year before, so I was really eager to prove myself. So I went down there in 2017. I knew I had the skills to do good. I just had to like uh, be able to show it. And with me, my family came along, my mother and father, and then some friends that didn't do jitsu. I'm a girlfriend. So I had a lot of people coming with me to watch. And that day I was able to submit five people and all of them within seven minutes. So everything just clicked that day. So it was like yeah, an amazing experience. And it was so cool to share that with the people I love the most. Nice, man. Sounds like a great experience. You subbed yeah. Paquito in the finals, right? That's right. You seem to have like back and forth rivalry. I mean, I think he beat you at World's Final Purple Belt. Then you subbed him at Copa Podio. Then you subbed him again at Euros. How was well, that? Yeah, because we, when we were purple belt, he beat me in like, at like the big, uh, the major tournaments. So he beat me in the semifinal of Europeans and he ended up beating me in the final of Worlds. So he was like kind of destroying my, my purple belt season in a sense, because I, I wanted to win those tournaments. So that was quite cool when I was able to, when we competed again in the brown belt, I was able to win over him. That was a good achievement. It's always fun when you're having really hard time with someone give that is like able to shut down your style but then as you work hard you're able to progress and and eventually beat them so that was really really cool that's nice man like, like, um, uh, sure. that can come back to what you said earlier because you said about even with a small gym the guys know your game same as this guy he studied you and yeah. he wanted to stop your game so training with your teammates tommy and the guys like you said, you figured a way to counter this and maybe he wasn't ready for that. You know, you had the exactly. advantage. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, man. Yeah. Sure. Well, the latest rivalry you had that really got my interest was against... I mean, I'm not sure if that's a rivalry. That considered rivalry was against Edwin Najmi. At 2018, yeah. you've got some really interesting fights, I think. He beat you at the Europeans 2018 with an advantage. Then yeah. you bounced back and you beat him by advantage in World Pro. Yeah. And then you subbed him at Worlds, which was right. that was a great match. And I was watching that live and I remember watching you stepping up to the mat for that match with Edwin. And I could say that you were really fired up. Was it that you really wanted to sub him due to your previous matches? Yeah, like we had really good matches, but I felt both in at Europeans and at World Pro, I wasn't really able to get the positions I wanted to. I had some uh, like Berenbolo or Matrix scrambles with him, but I couldn't secure it. So I felt like I could get his back or a pass or something on him. I just need to do it. So at Worlds, I was just able to pull it off. I went on top, got the sweep, passed him. So that was really cool when we had, when we were so even, and then eventually be able to like submit him. Because that's always my goal when I'm competing. I really want to get the submission. So that was awesome doing that uh, at Worlds. Yeah, that was a sick match to be honest, and that was a sick run you had as well, 2018. Thank you. Um, I know Alexi wanted to ask about that semi-finals match with Lepri. Yeah. 
So if you want to go, Alex, about that. Sure, sure, man. Um, yeah, um, I mean, what was your emotion going into that match? I mean, you know, Lucas is a legend and he's got the balance of a cap. So, you know, yeah. so you've got your game, but what are you thinking? Like, I knew how good Lucas is and we're like, of course, I was, before I made a lot of studies on people and I put it on YouTube, like of Lando Low and my own, and I was supposed to make one of Lepri. So I watched shit tons of matches of him. So I really knew his style. So I knew it was going to be hard. Like very few people have been has been able to like knock him off balance. But when we did when we fought, I just I felt comfortable in my game. I know my my strongest attack. I feel on the right day I can hit it on anyone. And of course I had to be super sharp because if you give him anything, he's he's gonna take that. So just try to keep calm, wait for the moment. And I were able to actually get into the Bambolo. But I don't know, it's almost like I hesitated or I got caught in the moment, like being at Worlds, almost Bambolo in Le Puy. It was like such a crazy moment. I was like, oh shit, I'm, I'm taking him. And maybe those thoughts prevented me from just taking the yeah. back. Yeah. So, yeah, I was... So, so you've spoken about the mental aspect of it and obviously yeah. you're physically a lot and then you watch videos. I mean, how do you prepare mentally? Do you visualize or how, how do you do it usually? I had like certain phases. At a certain point, I was very into visualizing. I would visualize a lot, try to like see myself winning and really doing that. But then now I'm more into trying to not think about it because... I don't see the reason why I should try to create certain scenarios in my head because then I'm just going to try to force those and it's not going to become as natural. For example, if I go to training and when, when I am at my best, I haven't visualized me being at my best. I'm just, just doing my thing. And I want to have the same approach for competition. I don't want to make competition bigger than it is. And I don't want to make unnecessary pressure on myself. Because I feel if you visualize, you have a certain idea or a standard you want to reach, and then it can become some pressure. So to me now, my idea is to don't, I, I try to not think too much about it and just see what happens, but just give my best in each moment. And I think that's going to give me the best results. Yeah, Like you said, as long as your preparation is, is good, then, you know, you're going to deliver your best, you know? Yeah. Sure. What you mentioned, I really want to ask you about, you had the YouTube page where you used to break down matches, right? Yeah. And I was watching um, a podcast with, it was like that Saturday Match Rewind with Tommy and Mikey. And there was one time that you focused too much on Leandro And was it true that he came to you and he was like, are you the guy trying to tell people how to beat me? Yeah, yeah. We're at the couple podium. He probably see the breakdown because I, in the end of the video, I told his weakness because Keen almost uh, flying armbar team or flying triangle team when he did the color grip guard, and then he was like, "Are you the one saying that?" It was just like a joke. Um. Um. What was the YouTube page named? It's just Esmontisen. Uh, but uh, I did more before. I haven't done one for a long time because making those videos, especially the bigger ones, where there were a lot like, because I did one where it was just a match with Mikey and Mayao, 
that takes time. But when you make the bigger ones, it takes a lot of time. You have to see like, I don't know, 50 or 100 videos. You have to edit this, see all like the patterns. So I have decided to not put too much effort in that. So I might start doing it in the future, but for now um, I'm not doing it too much. But if people want to check it out, they can go to, to YouTube and my channel is is Esmatisen and you can see some different breakdowns. Nice. Um, who was your favorite fighter to break down his fights? My favorite? Mm, I really like the breakdown. I really like to, to watch uh, Mikey Mishinesi when the fight he had against uh, Joao Meal. Just because he's so technical, he does a lot of cool stuff, small finesses. You can see that he has really studied the game. And it's always cool to see that and break that down. And I learned a lot from just watching him. Nice. That's been something I ask all our guests. Which was your toughest opponent up to date? My toughest opponent? That's a hard one. Uh, that really brought you out of your comfort zone in order to be able to fight him. Yeah, like... For example, I fought Argus. He uh, passed my guard and submitted me. So that was like, that was, that sucked. And was like, he's a really difficult opponent. But it's hard to say because sometimes it's also the day you have, you're not so on. But I guess in general, like the toughest I've gone against, it's it's Lucas Lepri. When, when I went against him, I felt like he was so precise. He has good pressure. He's so experienced, very calm. So with him, I had to be like super sharp. And it was a 10 minute match. So it was like, you had to be really focused. Wow. And you know, if you have a burst in the first two or three minutes and you gas out, it's pretty much over. So you, you have to conserve your energy as well. That's the thing, especially in the 10 minutes matches, you have to be smart about it. Because if you do too many rides in the beginning, you're, you're screwed, especially against a guy like Lepri, because he, he's not going to, He's just going to keep having the pressure on you, keep making you tired. So you have to be really smart with the energy use. Yeah. And I was studying Lucas myself. And what I really like that he's doing that, I believe, is conserving him a lot of energy is that he never breaks scripts. That's true. He but just gets what you're giving to him and he works with them. Yeah, that's true. He makes a lot of like color grip leans. I feel like he's really like low base, but leaning towards you, really like tiring out your legs. And if you open up, he just slides through. So he has a very tricky, tricky style. That's slightly deep in the way, a little bit away from that. Um, let's talk about your younger life. Did you do any other sports before jiu-jitsu? Yeah, I did uh, football for, I guess, 10, 11 years. So I did that for many years and took it quite serious, trained uh, every day and stuff like that. Then also I did a lot of skiing, actually. So every winter I would ski every weekend because uh, me and some friends, we worked at the facility. So we would go up in the weekends, get like a cabin and then work a bit, taking off, taking on like the, the lift. And then just ski the whole weekend. So I would do nice, that nice and, and football. 
Yeah, man. So what, what moved you away from it? I mean, obviously you found jiu-jitsu at some point. What made you know that this is the time? It was jiu-jitsu that took me away from, like, both, in a sense. Because uh, in the beginning, I did jiu-jitsu, football, and ski, and that was just too much. I was yeah. I was only able to train once or twice a week in jiu-jitsu in the first year. So eventually, I just decided I want to kind of... It was kind of like after my first tournament, I just was... I really fell in love with the sport and I just decided I want to do this more. And I just quit it, uh, football and start training more and more. I think, because obviously we've we've got quite a few sports in Cyprus as well, but one of the problems the younger students have coming up is they're always studying for something. So the parents are quite strict and you have to prove that maybe this, can you make a career out of this? Did you face anything like that? I mean, because I know a lot of students, they're doing degrees and their parents are like, no, you have to do the degree, but then... Could you, could you decide to move away to just do jiu-jitsu? Like, um, any advice you could give those sort of guys? Okay. To me, it was quite difficult in the beginning because I always took school serious and I was supposed to become an engineer. That was kind of like my path from, mm. for many, many years. I was going to university. But uh, I just decided that I wanted to take what I did. I took one year off just to see, like, uh, just to travel to America and compete. And mm. I just decided that I want to keep doing it. So if I'm going to give an advice, you just have to, if you feel really, really love the sport, just have to pursue it 100, like 100% and it's going to work out eventually. But it's going to be a grind and it's a risky path to take, but you will be rewarded if you work hard enough and you just commit because it's very easy to take the safe path to do education. And there's nothing wrong with doing that and there's nothing wrong with doing education while you're doing jitsu. You can do both. It's not like you have to do one of them. But in general, if you want to do just, just jiu-jitsu full-time, you just have to pursue it 100% and, and work hard and show those around you that you're working hard so they understand that it's not like just going out of school and dropping out just to drop out. You're actually doing it to work really hard on something else. Yeah, and course. those attributes and those uh, that work ethic are going to be good anyways. So even if you're going back to school or you're doing something else, you have a, like a good mindset that you can bring with you. And you're going to have experiences that other people are not going to have. You have traveled to certain places, met people, learned about training and put yourself into uncomfortable situations like competition. So it's going to be beneficial anyways. I agree with that totally because, I mean, just from my perspective and my friends, we've traveled the world just through jiu-jitsu as well and we've competed everywhere. And you meet so many people, you'll meet one guy from here, here, and then they're like, oh, let's go to Japan together. And then they live in Canada and you can stay with them in Canada or, you know, Holland, anywhere. It is, it's brilliant, man. It is, like you said, it's, uh, personally, I think it's the only sport that offers such a team ethic. Even though you fight for yourself, you, you, make, you make brothers, you know, you actually have a bond with people. For sure. For sure. Espen, well, sorry to bother to talk to you, Alexi. Espen, what was the point where you, conv you convinced yourself and your family that you could make it with jiu-jitsu? I mean, was it a specific point in your life? Was it a specific result or a tournament? To me, actually, it was because I took one year off. And that was the year where I traveled to AUJ and then Arizona. And then I went to Worlds as a purple belt and I had seven matches and I ended up with silver at Worlds. And I really realized like I can do, I've only done this one year full time and I'm 
I almost won worlds. So if I'm just keep pursuing this, I can actually become really good at this sport. So I just decided to do one more year, and it wasn't like a like a huge decision. It was more natural progression. Like I just decided I'm gonna do one more more year of this, and then one more, and then one more, and eventually I just did jiu-jitsu full time. Nice. So in 2014, you turned pro. Uh, 2015 was the world's as purple belt. But okay. yeah, I kind of turned pro in, not pro, but I, I did jiu-jitsu full time in 2014. So after that summer, that's when I started, like traveled to America. Yeah. And did you turn full time simultaneously with Tommy? Uh, what did you say? Did you turn full time simultaneously at the same time with Tommy? Yes, because uh, before that I went to school, uh, and then Tommy was—he is a carpenter, so he was like in Norway. You have to take like a, I, don't, I don't know what to call it, but you get your papers. So he was getting that in the summer, and I was done with the school before the summer. So we just both of us was really passionate about jitsu, and he would come down to my town and we would train a bit and we start discussing in the beginning of 2014 like let's go to america let's travel and uh, like go to other gyms so we just decided to do it and then we i guess we traveled in august and we and we spent three months there in california together but then eventually he kept going back to california and the mendes brothers and i went to arizona oh where do you train in arizona at Gustavo Dante's Academy. Oh, nice. So really well, good gym. With Marcio Andre and Orlando Monteiro, these guys? And Marcio Andre, I guess he was, I think, maybe in Abu Dhabi at that time. But uh, oh. Orlando Monteiro was there, Josh Rodriguez. So a bunch of uh, good guys. So there was really good training there as well. Nice. You mentioned the full time. Could you describe to us how, 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 how does full-time happen for you? Like, what do you do in the week? You're doing your conditioning, you're prepping your meals. When's the time to drill? When's the time to spar? How would you go about your normal week? Could you describe that? Like how my normal week is? Yeah, yeah. Just so, say we've got youngsters who want to know how we would mm. do it. And obviously in Cyprus, there's less opportunities, but at least if they can have an idea, yeah, um, yeah. we would go about it. That would be really cool. The way I've trained the last years has, has been, uh, I go into the morning class at 10. And I train for one and a half hour. And then I do maybe do one set of something, like one set of, I do like pull-ups or something after that. And that's the first morning session. Then go home, eat, maybe watch Jitsu or something else. And then I go in at night at six and do one and a half hour there. And then also I try to, I have been a bit lazy lately, but normally I, I stretch a lot as well because I'm not natural flexible. So I had to work my way to become, have a flexible guard. So I would also stretch for like half an hour to an hour every day as well. Oh, wow. That's brilliant, man. Yeah. So that's kind of like, I do that Monday to Friday. And then before, when I was younger, I would train even in the weekends. But now I've realized I need to really have recovery because we train so hard that I need to just have time away on Saturday and Sunday. And that's kind of nice too, because you just, it's important to do other stuff as well. And if you just do jitsu all week, you can get a bit fed up and burned out. So in my experience, I really like to just take the weekends off. If, if you say, even if you were taking the weekend off, 
but you still say you felt burnt out, how would you counter that? Would you just say, okay, maybe I'll take one more day off or how would you work around it? If I start feeling burned out? Yeah, yeah. Like, to be honest, I had certain times I'm tired of jiu-jitsu, but I, I just go to training and show up. So even if I'm burned out, I just keep training through it in a sense. Like, mm. it's very rarely that I've taken time off. Like, I had certain times because of a surgery and stuff that I've taken time off. But normally I just train and I haven't really been like super burned off or tired of jitsu. Yeah. I really, really love jitsu. It's one of the most fun things I do. So normally I, I really want to go to training. So, and I guess it's because it's also the way I'm approaching jitsu. I try to every day go there and learn something new or study something. There's always something I'm working on or trying to yeah. have fun with it. So that just makes the process very exciting. It's not yeah. just like, like I'm looping in the same things. I'm always doing new things. And then it's not, it doesn't become boring then. I hear you. So, so you've mentioned, okay, it's not out of mentality because the mind is strong, so you're going to train anyway. You've got the thirst to practice and for the knowledge. You mentioned injury. Uh, is, how, how do you go about injury? Because obviously there's worse injuries you can have. But say if you're worried, I mean, some people get worried about a slight injury, they may not go training. I mean, what's your advice with injury in general? Like if I have a really bad injury, I'm going to stay away from training. But normally, if it's a small one, I'm still going to training, but I, I try to work around it. So if, for example, I have problem, problems with my ankle, I cannot play the lahib on my normal side, okay, I'm going to work on the other side. So I'm not going to go full, full retard and go super hard on sparring them. I'm going to be smart about it, but I, I still want to do something. So I can go there and drill. I can go there and stretch. I can go there and watch. I can see jitsu. There's always something you can do. So I don't, I don't want to just every time I'm injured, just excuse not to do something. I try to always work around it because eventually as you do a lot of jitsu, you're always going to feel something. It's going to be the neck or it's going to be a bit in the shoulder. There's always a small problem. But as long as you're taking care of it, doing a good warm up and working around, I don't have too much issues with the injuries. No, that's a good way to look at it, man. Like, um, that's a good mindset of, I'll change it up today. Because, you know, like you said, if, if say, if your knee's hurting one side and you want to play down a heaver, but you can't because your knee's fucked, you know, you're going to have to change because you're going to get injured even worse. At least yeah. your weak side, maybe you'll be better that side because you never tried exactly. it. Exactly. That's my experience too. You get better, actually. A lot of times being injured helps you because you're, you're forced to do other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a good way to look at it, for sure. Nice. Yeah. Um, something else I'd like to ask you, Aspen. Um, we can see that Jiu-Jitsu in the States keeps moving. They have competitions, they have shows, they have tournaments, they have everything. But Europe is pretty much locked down at the moment. We can't have tournaments, we can't have invitations, we can't have anything. Do you believe that we'll further increase the gap we have jiu-jitsu-wise between the States and Brazil with Europe? I haven't really put thoughts into that, but uh, I have, to be honest, I have no idea how it's going to turn out. It might do that, but uh, hopefully uh, the situation going to get better and things will be more normalized and we can start having Polaris can be more active again and you can have more IBGF. So then I guess it's going to be Get the gaps gonna decrease, but uh, it's hard to say. Yeah, 
And what is your general vision for European Jiu-Jitsu in the future? I mean, we've got some great competitors in you, Tommy, Adam, um, Tarek. How do you see how do you see it going in the future? I think the future for European Jiu-Jitsu looks very bright. Like now you have good athletes from every country and that you really saw that at the Polaris event at the squads like Team Europe versus Team UK. We had people from so many different nations like Luca from Italy, Tommy Pokenen from Finland. We had uh, Pequito was supposed to join but he couldn't from Portugal. So like you have people from all over Europe that are really high level. And I feel it's just going to keep evolving in that direction. And eventually you're going to have so many good people from Europe. So I think, I don't know how long, but soon it's going to be a lot of Europeans that are going to take medals and potentially also get gold at the at Worlds at Blackout. Considering that performance of Team Europe at Polaris Squads, against what team would you like to face off against, considering there's no COVID and there's no travel restrictions? I think uh, Team America would be really cool. That'd be awesome. And then, of course, Team Brazil would be really cool as well. Would be either one of those. Like that format is so cool, where it's like mm -hmm. also cool doing like teams against team and only submission, short matches. So it became a very entertaining tournament. So I hope they're going to keep doing that format. And I think we're going to have a lot of cool events. How would you say um, a format influences your game? Is it your, your strategy before you go in, you just change or you still have the same game, but look for the same result, the submission? Can, can you ask that question again? Sure, sure. So you're, imagine you usually have 10-minute matches at IBGF, right? And then you yeah, come yeah. to Paris, submission only, and it's, this is the rule set. How do you get yourself ready for that, that sort of change? To me, it doesn't change too much. My approach to jiu-jitsu and the way I'm training, I'm, I'm looking for submission. Mm -hmm. So when I'm doing, if I'm doing uh, IBJF 10 minutes or I'm doing Abu Dhabi six minutes or Polaris, I'm going to have the same way I'm fighting. I'm going to push forward, try to get the dominant position so I have a high chance of getting submission. So I didn't change my approach too much. The only thing that changes is when you have shorter matches, you have to be more intense in a sense. Mm -hmm. You cannot wait too much. You have to really just go forward. Yeah, because you, you did mention that in when you were saying you're fighting a 10-minute fight, you have to be, be at the right time, I guess. But with a yeah. six-minute match, your time is now. There's no second exactly. chance. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah, no, that's really cool, man. I mean, it must be a good variation for you sometimes just to have this change to grow a bit more and see how you do in this format as well. For sure. It's always fun to switch it up, try something new. And, and just for the viewer as well, I think... It, it's cool to see something new, something yeah. new to the table. Because it is exciting, because you think you, I mean, us as the viewers watching it and as fellow Jutateros, we, we're thinking, oh, how's this one going to go? This guy likes the points, but this guy is always like the submissions, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you could say it's typical with someone like Edward Nadjby, he's always looking for the sub. You can see that from, even if the other guy is so much better than him, he's going to try sub you, he doesn't care. Yeah. You know, like, so it's really cool to see guys like yourself come out there. Uh, take on these challenges as well like um 
I think I'd definitely pay to watch uh, Team Europe versus Team Brazil or Team America. I thought that'd be a really good event. That can happen. Yeah, man, I'd be sick, man. Yeah. Oh. Espen, is there any guy that you would particularly like to fight against, considering maybe his style, your style, the way you match up? Uh, there's many, I guess. Like, I would like to go against Asak Bayense again, because he's one of the best middleweights. Mm. Uh, also, Argus would be really cool to go against. So I don't have any like one particular that I want to go against, but anytime there's a good challenge, I would I would like to go against that. Well, how about a different angle? How about this way? So obviously you do jiu-jitsu, you're a professional, you've got your goals. And obviously I think people even do jiu-jitsu, you're, you're a fan of jiu-jitsu as well, right? And um, um, you're, you're a fan of jiu-jitsu, like you like to watch the other matches, like you said. Yeah, yeah. What other match would you like to see? Like, is there any fights you think you'd like to see in future between two guys, or what would you like to see? I would really like to see uh, Tommy versus uh, Keen. That would be a cool one. Oh yeah, that would be good, man. That would sure. be really cool. So, or maybe yeah, I think that would be an awesome match because Tommy has a very exciting style and Keen mm. is a beast too. So I think that would be a really cool match. Yeah, no, yeah, Tommy's a beast, man. Like his his fights with Renato Canuto were good as well, weren't they? That was really good. Yeah, man. Yeah, Keenan versus he's always him. Going for the, he's always going for the submission, so I'm trying to, like, push forward. So it's always exciting to watch him. Yeah. No, that's wicked, man. That's hopefully we see that, man. That would be a wicked fight. Definitely. Yeah. Between those guys, yeah. Um, last year at Europeans, maybe the second most hyped match after Mohamed Mali versus Musumeci was Tommy versus Ronaldo. And... I watched that video you made that uh, YouTube wolfing and you pretty much predicted how the match went. Yeah. What was it that you think made the difference between Tommy and Ronaldo? Because Tommy used to be always the guy that he would smash everybody, but he would come against the guy who's more tactical like Isaac and he would always come second in these big tournaments. What do you think make the difference? I don't know, to be honest, like Tommy was just really focused and style-wise too, like Ronaldo is passing very, very fast, like he uses Toriando leg drags and it's really hard to handle Tommy's legs. He has extreme dexterity, extremely strong legs and if you see Tommy's approach, he, he was very calm in the match. He wouldn't even make grips at certain times and like he, you know, Ronaldo was trying but he had, didn't have a chance. So I guess he just kind of freaked him out. And eventually when he started getting grips and started working, Ronaldo couldn't, couldn't stop it. So just think that Tommy had a good game plan, but also a very, he was very focused. And we had a really good camp for that, the Europeans. We, liked, we invited the, the Irish crew, Dara, Philippe Mota from Stavanger. We had Sebastian Boucher. We had so many, we had Leon Lorman from France. So we had a really good camp. So I just think that, was able to get into his peak and have a really good performance. How did that make you as um, a teammate? Because obviously you've invested time into making your teammates better as well as yourself, like they have for you. How did you feel when he won this? Because it must have been amazing. It was an amazing experience. It was a really cool scene. Like also the match against Paquito, 
the way he did it, diving for a Kimura, going into the Berenbolo, taking the back, everything, the energy in the arena was crazy. So it was so cool to see because I know how hard he worked. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was amazing to see see that victory. And it's also very motivating to see that too. Like yeah. Tommy's there submitting. He's submitting the best guys, Ronaldo, Paquito, and doing it in a very cool way. That's very motivating and inspiring to watch. It must make you think, this is my time as well, isn't it? Like, you must think, this is my time now. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, I'd like to ask you, Espen, um, that was a big statement for European Jiu-Jitsu because we really showed that we have competitors that are at the highest level and can compete against the best Brazilian guys. But... Um, do you believe that now that what I have in mind with Dream Art Project, for example, they mm-hmm. gather all the best guys from all over Brazil and they train together. Do you believe mm-hmm. that such movements, fighter houses, where they are so specific, which fighter houses aren't really a thing in Europe right now, where you mm-hmm. can find most of them in Brazil and the States? Mm-hmm. You believe that might be a problem for us European competitors in the future? Um, I don't know. I think like you're thinking about people getting gathering together like that. Yeah, just having a professional environment, living together, yeah. uh, traveling together, eating together, pretty much having everything they need in order for them to just train in the best way they can. I think eventually we're going to see that coming. Uh, that can that could for sure happen in uh, here in Haugesund as well. Like just in the Corona time, we had uh, two, like one purple belt and one blue belt from different parts of Norway moving here. And uh, John is visiting. Like I think eventually there's going to be more and more people coming, for example, to Haugesund to pursue Jitsu full time. And we're going to have a very professional environment where people can get good training and travel together to compete. And it's probably going to happen in other parts of Europe as well. So I think that's something that's going to happen eventually. Lovely, bro. I'd definitely love to come visit you guys in Hoxton and get some training in. I'm sure Alex awesome. will as well. You guys are always welcome. Cheers, bro. Maybe when the borders open, we'll shoot over, man, and see what the champions are doing. Come and see you guys. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Okay, so I think we'll wrap it up. Thank you so much, Espen. It was great listening to your experiences and your point of view in all these different subjects and topics. It was a pleasure having you. Looking forward to training with you in the future. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me. It was really yeah, cool. It's a, it a pleasure to have you, man. And the lessons you've passed on through this podcast, hopefully our youngsters and fellow Cypriots can watch this and learn from you. Like, it's been a real honor to get part of your mindset. It's, a, it's been a pleasure to know the the person behind the skills we just see on, you know, on the matches, you know? It's good to yeah. see the human behind it. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Thank Take you. care, man. Bye-bye. Take care.